0: Before the human race harnessed the power of fire there was only darkness, an inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery and fear. Into that darkness brave men would not venture, for as the map says, here there be monsters. Good evening and welcome to Hear There Be Monsters Podcast. I'm your captain, Derek Hayes. I'm anxious to get started this evening, but first, let's trudge through the formalities. Have you stumbled upon a Sasquatch, observed an Ogo Pogo, witnessed a Wendigo, or bumped into the Beast of Bray Road? If so, I want to share your story. Give the Here There Be Monsters hotline a call at one 608 night that's one 888 You know the deal. It's a quick, easy, and free call. Simply wait for the beep and leave your message as you would a voicemail. As always, you can submit through text at www.heretherebemonsterspodcast.com forward slash contact. In addition, I've had a few listeners ask if they can send audio files of their stories. You certainly can simply send those to Hear There Be Monsters Podcast at gmail.com. OK, I think you get the picture. Let's move on with tonight's show. Recently, I've been watching the Netflix series Stranger Things, and in doing so it brought back all the nostalgia of growing up in the 1980s. I still remember vividly perusing aisle after aisle of our local video store's horror section. Hockey masks, knives for fingers, blobs, critters, aliens, and bloody chainsaws fed my imagination and fueled my nightmares. As children, we were always allowed to rent one scary film per visit. So it didn't take long for my brothers and I to work our way through the entire library of the rinky-dink rental shop, aptly named Visions. These films were extremely influential. Sure, they instilled in me an interest in filmmaking, a career path I follow to this day. But they arguably affected me more in the short term. Overnight, the darkness of my basement instantly became a dwelling for a number of terrifying creatures. The skies overhead suddenly harbored terrifying alien craft, biding their time until the unavoidable invasion. And the forest behind my house, filled with the shadows of masked men wielding weapons of all kinds. These fears were double-sided. While on one hand, being afraid to walk up your own flight of stairs can be crippling and downright embarrassing, but on the reverse, that fear was an adrenaline high I've not matched since. So it's in that spirit that I present you with this evening's stories. The common thread through each one of tonight's calls is that of childhood experiences. After all, if these encounters have stuck with us all these years, there has to be some truth to them. Right? Right? Our first story of the evening comes to us from a man named Alan.
1: Hello, my name is Alan. My story comes from when I was a child. I was probably age 12 when this started. I don't remember when or where it first happened, but for a long time I hadn't seen really being watched. Occasionally, out of the corner of my eye, I would see... A small child, young girl, long blonde hair, curly, always in an old-fashioned doll-type dress. I asked around my family often what or who she might be if anybody else saw her. Now, I had several siblings, mostly girls. She did not fit the description of any of my siblings. My family finally one day told me that long ago. There was a child who fit that description. There was no family pictures or records of her. But she did live at the house that I grew up in. And was a member of my family. A distant cousin. Now I would see her in the corner of my eye. Sometimes. Especially around Halloween. Around Easter. And any time... she finally managed to get out what she wanted which was to ask why she had to die so young I later asked a few more questions and found out that she had been playing with a large red ball when it had fallen down some stairs and she went chasing after it she slipped Why she had the ball. Why she wanted to show me and
0: ask me why. Thank you. Thank you for your submission, Alan. Not to take away from his story in any way, but if you were to ask me for the most frequently told of all ghost stories, I believe I'd choose something similar to Alan's encounter. A child ghost in a flowing white dress, begging for help, and carrying a child's toy. These attributes are nothing short of cookie-cutter in regards to classic Victorian-era ghostly encounters. Of course, none of this is to say that Alan's account is not real, nor plausible. It just happens to contain widely distributed details. My suggestion is to document the stories you've heard. Find newspaper articles or an obituary on the little girl's death. Something to verify the tale although it's a creepy story with or without a piece of paper. Thank you again for taking the time to call in. Sometimes we experience an event as a child that was undoubtedly creepy, but as we grow older the details of the incident become increasingly troubling. And having not witnessed them with our own eyes would be downright unbelievable. That's just the case with our next story. I was born and raised in a tiny town called Dilly, Oregon. We had a church, an elementary school, and a lake. When I was around 10 years old my best friend and I, we'll call him Jimmy, were enjoying a hot summer day by going down the street to the pond to skip rocks and pick fresh strawberries. We lived around farms and all of our neighbors knew each other and we were very friendly. They allowed us to come and pick any fruit that we wanted as long as we were respectful. So as we headed down to the pond, we passed a small electrical box, and on the top was a little green garden gnome. We had never seen anything on top of this box before, so we found its appearance very odd. Us, being shitty preteens with nothing better to do, we chucked that bugger right into the blackberry bushes. These were no ordinary blackberry bushes, though. These were wild ones that were about six feet high and really thick. The gnome went right into the center of the bushes and we went on our way to pick berries. When we got to the little electrical box, we were in shock. The exact same gnome was sitting in the very same spot from which we threw him the day before. We freaked out a little, grabbed the gnome and threw him back into the bushes and ran all the way home. We were terrified to go back. The pond had always been a very intense and mysterious place for us. We had spent many days collecting old Native American artifacts like clay shards and obsidian arrowheads. I did a little digging into our town's history and as it turns out, in the early 1800s, the Atfalati band of the Kalapoya Native American tribe lived in that very same area. This is only one of the many strange things that have happened to my neighbor friends and I. Were old Native American spirits playing the joke on us? Who knows? That was the last time we went back to that pond. First off, I appreciate your submission. Secondly, I completely understand why you'd never want to return. It's one thing to experience this as a teen. In that frame of mind, you'd assume someone was messing with you or playing a prank. But as an adult, you step back and look at the situation a bit differently. If the bushes were as thick and dense as the submitter suggests... Who in the right mind would go into them to fetch a lawn ornament, simply to leave it laying on an electric box? When you explore the logistics of the event, it's simply mind-boggling. Of course there's plausible explanations. Perhaps there was more than one figurine, someone simply replaced the first one for some strange reason. Or maybe someone made their home inside the briars, a homeless person, or another kid made his fort within the tangled brambles. The point is, there are explanations but how likely are they? What are the chances? Perhaps we will never know. I want to thank you again for submitting your story. Our next account comes to us from a woman named Haley from down in the Lone Star State.
2: Hi, my name's Haley. I'm from Texas. When I was in Fifth or sixth grade, I was waiting for the bus, and it was a really clear, sunny morning. Um, I lived in a very rural, rural town with uh, very little. There's there's no airports or anything nearby. I, there was never really many airplanes or aircrafts or whatever. But I was just waiting for the bus, and I looked up and I saw this craft, and it was very silver and shiny and very much reflecting the sun, um, and I thought it was an airplane at first, um, but it was it was really big, um, and not big in the way that something is close. You could tell that it was far away, and at the same distance, an airplane definitely wouldn't be the same size, um, but this also didn't have any wings or um, like the tail fin or anything that a normal airplane has. So I was just standing there and watching it and I noticed that the birds had gone quiet and that kind of freaked me out, but I didn't really know what to think at the time because I was in fifth or sixth grade, but I just kept watching it and um, suddenly it started to shrink there was like this shimmer at what i think is the front and it just started to go into the shimmer really really slowly and it was shrinking and it got to about a fourth of the crack was left and suddenly it just completely vanished it was gone in the blink of an eye and um, everything was quiet for a few seconds after that, and the birds started singing, and I was really, really freaked out. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, I haven't really told many people about it, but yeah, uh, guess I saw a UFO. Yeah, that's my story. Thanks. I love the show.
0: Thank you, Haley. This call is quite similar to the encounter I spoke about in last week's episode of Here There Be Monsters Bare Bones. In that story, a driver witnessed a large, cigar-shaped craft that simply vanished before it could be identified. A pair of military jets were scrambled moments after the encounter. Although Haley doesn't mention it, I wonder if there was any sort of military presence following her encounter as well. That detail seems to be about the only thing separating the two observations. Unidentified craft fitting this description have been reported for decades, all the way back to the 19th century. In the spring of 1897, the residents of Aurora, Texas, witnessed a strange, cigar-shaped craft crash into a nearby windmill. Apparently, the pilot of the craft was killed in the collision and subsequently buried in the nearby cemetery. To this day, claims state that the being that was buried was not human and was quite possibly otherworldly. I will post a link to the article detailing this crash in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again, Haley, for taking the time to call in. Our final call of the evening comes to us from Devon in Florida.
3: Hi, my name is uh, Devin, and first of all, I want to say thank you so much for the share that you do. I really think that this is a fantastic podcast to subscribe to, and I tell all my friends about it. This encounter that I would like to to tell the listeners about happened to me when I was about five or six years old. I want to say that six was probably the more accurate uh, age at which it occurred. Um, I grew up in uh, the panhandle of Florida. And in a, in a relatively old house, it's not by no means was uh, established in the 1920s or 30s, but I believe that construction in the house was finished in the 1960s. It was a pretty uh, large house. Both of my parents are physicians, and uh, I myself am in medical school currently. So I like to think that that adds a, a touch of credibility to my story, as uh, I pride myself on my ability to empirically and critically think. But this uh, occurred in this house when I was growing up, like I said, maybe around uh, six years old. I'm a middle child. I have an older brother that's a year older than me and a younger brother that's three years younger than me. At the time that this happened, I shared a bedroom with my older brother, my younger brother, of course being just barely out of the uh, toddler stage, had his own room. Uh, so during this time, uh, in my life, uh, my older brother and I love to play uh, video games, um, but we're often limited in the amount of time that we had to play the games during the day by my parents, restricting us to an hour a day. So to get around that, to circumvent it, we would wait till they fell asleep at night, which was always uh, achieved by cracking open their bedroom door and hearing both of them snoring away. My older brother and I would then go out to the living room and be on mute and play uh, at the time it was probably Nintendo 64. And so we were laying awake in bed. All the lights were off. It was uh, around 11 o'clock at night, and we were waiting for my parents to fall asleep when we heard what sounded like a tin object falling onto the the tile floor in the kitchen. And at this time, we had no pets. Later, we would have animals of various kinds, but at this stage in life, we didn't have any cats, we didn't have any dogs, or parrots, or anything like that. We didn't have a house that had a doggy door or anything like that, and our house was very uh, well secured, alarm systems, and locks and and deadbolts. Uh, But we we heard the sound of a a pan dropping, which was unusual because usually it was very quiet at night. So my brother and I decided that. uh, One of our parents had uh, awoken and was in the kitchen. So we uh, um, waited maybe another 30 minutes because we figured whatever they had to do wouldn't take that long. So at the 30-minute mark, we both exited our room and cracked open Mom and Dad's door, which was directly adjacent to ours. Uh, The kitchen was down a a long hallway, probably about 20 or 30 feet. Um, then there was a living room and a kitchen, but you could see past the living room into the kitchen from, from, from the hallway that our bedrooms were located on. The house was very streamlined, very long, and uh, you could essentially see one end of the house to the other if you were in the right position. So we, both of my parents were asleep. My older brother and I ventured out into the living room to, to play Nintendo. And as we started to advance toward the kitchen, we heard a few more noises into the, in the kitchen. And shuffling and whatnot, not the, the tin sound, but shuffling. The noise, the earlier noise, the tin dropping had apparently woken my younger brother, too. And as we advanced our way down the hallway, he had joined us. Um, we questioned him, you know, Teague, what did you hear? And he said, uh, I heard, uh, heard like a pot dropping, uh, something along that effect, something that a three-year-old would say that would indicate he heard the same thing that we heard. And so the three of us together, uh, my older brother, decided that he wanted to go back into our room and grab his Swiss Army knife that he'd been given for his um, birthday. And he grabbed his Swiss Army knife and retracted the blade. And the three of us uh, marauded our way down the hallway toward the living room and then the adjacent kitchen. And as we entered the living room, all the lights in the house were off. Um, We couldn't hear anything. Everything was quiet. We made our way toward the kitchen. Our living room was probably about 12 by 12, and uh, more of a family room uh, than an actual living room. Uh, we had another room that was on the other side of the house that was a little bit bigger, but this one was probably about 12 by 12, and then there was a bar in the kitchen. And as we started to make our way towards the bar, what appeared to be a large cat jumped up onto the, the, the bar, the top of the bar, the, the uh, it was a marble countertop, completely silently also, which is not unusual for a cat at all, but we didn't have a cat. And therein was the problem is that we um, did not own a cat. As far as we could tell, there was no way a cat could have entered our house. We had no um, passageways leading directly outside that a cat could simply just wander in. And uh, my parents were very obsessive about uh, locking and, and securing the house. And there was this black cat, uh, the shadow, the silhouette of a black cat standing on our marble countertop in the kitchen. And rather large, I, if I had to, uh, I, I, met, I, I remember thinking it was probably larger than what it was when I was six. But, you know, being an adult now, I would have to say that it was probably around the size of... Uh, what a uh, dachshund would, um, a normal-sized dachshund would be. So this is a large cat, but with very elongated ears, and its head appeared to be facing away from us. We all paused and looked at each other with this knowing look of, what the heck is a cat doing in our house? And when we looked back, the cat had turned to face us, and what we could see was uh, kind of an amber a very distant and light amber glow emanating from its eyes as it turned to face us which at that point in life watching Goosebumps and reading R.L. Stein novels as I love to do I knew indicated something deleterious (laughs) uh, about the creature and as the cat looked at us completely silent we all, I felt a cold chill just run through my entire body and I can imagine that my older and younger brother um, felt the same thing. In fact, as we recall this tale, you know, twenty odd, uh, almost thirty odd years later, um, we all uh, remember it in the exact uh, same way as, as it happened. Even my younger, my youngest brother, who was quite young at the time, um, all remembered the same the same series of events independently. And so, it turned and looked at us with this amber glow in his eyes, and we. Uh, very promptly and without hesitation ran into my parents' bedroom and woke them up. Uh, my dad um, did not wake up when we were shaking. You know, he was a very, very heavy sleeper, but my mom did wake up. And we told her what we'd saw. He we said, Mom, there's a strange cat in the house. Mom so, um, went with us. We told her what we saw. She nonchalantly reassured us. And we went throughout the house and uh, turned on all the uh, lights made everything visible. Um, She searched the two living rooms that we had, the family room, the kitchen. Uh, We went outside into our garage um, to search and see if uh, there was an animal. But, you know, throughout this process that took maybe 15 to 20 minutes, none of us were able to to find an animal or trace of an animal. There was and find any Hair, or there was no trace that the there was a, a cat-like creature in our uh, in our house, and uh, and so that's that's the rather uneventful end of that story. Is that we we uh, we never found what had caused that, or what 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 the what we had seen. We never figured out what it was, other than it was this silent. Um, Large black red-eyed cat uh, that w- had apparently no business for being <laughs> being in the place that it was at the time that it was. Um, you know, I, later on, I I went into college and, and, and been into medical school. I uh, minored in zoology, and I remember reading during that time um, we were covering refractory um, uh, tones and colors of different animal's lenses when light shines upon them. And what was interesting about my experience with uh, the creature that my, uh, my brothers and I saw growing up was that um, we did not have a light source. Um, there were no lights on in the house at the time that we encountered this creature, and yet there seemed to be this amber, um, kind of dark red light um, emanating from its eyes. Um, without any sort of uh, photon stimulus. Um, Not to mention the fact that cats do not typically have a uh, reddish um, refractory pattern. It's uh, generally um, yellowish-green, more on the yellow side, but um, red is something that that they do not, uh, is a color that they do not refract. uh, And... uh, to this day, um, like I said, my, my brothers and I independently told a story with the same exact details, and, and uh, I'd love to hear if anyone else had a similar experience as mine. Um, you know, our house was not built on an Indian burial ground. It was not nowhere near a cemetery, nowhere near a church, nowhere near these locales of uh, historical spiritual activity. Um, just a uh, a plain house in Florida. That's the end of that story. I appreciate your time and listening.
0: Thank you, Devin, for sharing your encounter. It's amazing to me that something as simple as seeing a large cat in your kitchen can stick with you your entire life. Clearly, this encounter was not commonplace for him. As he stated, he had no pets, and there was no apparent way for a creature of that size to gain entry into the home. So where did it come from? Perhaps more importantly, where did it go? My immediate judgment is that a neighbor's cat simply found its way into the house, but the caller does a great job of debunking that suggestion. In addition, he even goes further to explain how the cat's eye shine is not typical of most house cats. You know, Devin and his brothers aren't the only ones to witness a spectral black cat. Throughout the tunnels in the Capitol buildings of Washington, D.C., legend tells of a demon cat. The demon cat is described as pitch black and about the size of an average house cat. Its home is supposedly the basement crypt of the Capitol, which was originally intended as a burial chamber for President George Washington. According to legend, the cat is seen before presidential elections and tragedies in Washington. Allegedly, the cat was spotted by White House security guards the nights before the assassination of both John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln. I can only assume that no assassinations were predicted by Kevin's spectral visitor. Thank you again for sharing your call. Now before I close out tonight's episode, I've noticed in the show's reviews that listeners are asking for longer episodes. Truth be told, I'd love to do an extended show, but I can only work with what calls I have coming in. The best way to help me extend the running time of each episode is to share the show with friends and family. The more listeners we have, the more calls I get in, and in turn, the longer each episode can be. And speaking of reviews, if you're listening on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It only takes a couple of minutes, but it does wonders to drive in new listeners. And while you're clicking things, please follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. I'm also working my way into Twitter. The handle over there is at HTBMPodcast. I know, it's confusing. If you're into dark art, check out the Rag and Bone Emporium on Etsy.com. There you will find all kinds of creepy items perfect for the weirdo in your life. Each and every piece is handmade by me. For example, I just finished up a replica of a letter allegedly sent by Jack the Ripper and a set of human bone dice crafted by the Plainfield Butcher, Ed Gein. All sales help support the show, so please don't be shy. You can find a link to the show's webpage at www.heartherebemonsterspodcast.com under the Support the Show tab. As a bonus to all my listeners, use coupon code MONSTER for a cool 5% off your total purchase. Don't forget to keep an eye out for Here There Be Monsters Bare Bones, the mini version of the show I'm releasing every Sunday evening a bit of an appetizer for the following week's show. Just look for those episodes where you're already accessing the show. And lastly, before I go, I'm still looking for stories about the phenomenon I'm calling mirrored men. For those that aren't familiar, mirrored men are three or more mysterious beings walking single file using mirrored or copied movements. They are often seen in places they should not be and typically witnesses experience missing time or unconsciousness. If you've experienced anything like this, please give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT and please share your story. I'm hoping to do an episode very soon focusing on this phenomenon. Alright folks, that's it for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening and until next week.